thank you for joining me for another Sunday Afternoons with Reverend Lucretia. I'm so glad you're here. And so the name of today's talk is Just a Chapter in Life. And the song is by Lauren Daigle, and it is I Will Trust in You. If you'd like to listen to the song before you hear the talk, just go ahead and click. It will be the link for it in the description down below. So we're going to be talking a little bit about This Too Shall Pass from a Taoist point of view. We will be talking about how to get through the hard times. We have a wonderful hero story and the fact that life's ambushes often turn into a great opportunity for new beginnings and starting all over again. We will be talking about scripture and new thought. We will be talking an awful lot today about Jeremiah, just because I found so much in that story that was helpful for us. We'll be talking about the generations of decline and conflict that all of the Israelites had to go through before they could return home. Releasing resistance and allowing yourself to be where you are and accepting that and doing the best you can in that situation. We'll be talking about the fact that God's love for us is everlasting and non-changing and something that we can count on no matter what our outer circumstances look like. And we will be talking about the fact that sometimes it takes a while for God's promises to come true and we have to be patient and willing to go through the hard times. So we're going to start just because there's so much biblical reference today. We're going to talk a little bit about a Tao point of view about this too shall pass. We're going to be talking about non-resistance and accepting the new situations that we find ourselves in. That the nature of the universe is always changing. Energy cannot possibly ever be stagnant. It is always a movement forward. There is always transformation and flow. We would talk about that with Jeremiah too, that life happens and we don't accept it. We get stuck in the, why is this happening to me? And that just makes it worse. We're going to understand that no matter how hard it is, we cannot stay the same. Change is always going to happen. We sometimes develop a pattern of thinking that is hurting ourselves. And in China, they call this the carousel of despair, where we just go round and round and get stuck in the mud of what is happening that we don't like instead of trying to move forward. We can't change our circumstances sometimes and we have to accept that and stop fighting and so it's a lot about non-resistance. It's about the fact that when we move against the current we're just making it harder ourselves. Our minds get locked sometimes because they want to be in control but that actually is the reverse of what we need to be doing. We need to be letting go. You know there's a saying that says what you resist persists and it actually just gets worse. Pain, despair, anxiety will pass if you choose to accept what is happening that you cannot change. Also, you have to accept responsibility for the fact that you are doing this to yourself. So when you get on this carousel of despair, you have made a choice to go around and around and around, and you also have the choice to get off it. You need to ask yourself questions like, why do I choose to fight the current situation that I have no control over? What part of me is being served by holding on to fear, anger, and negativity? And why am I fighting this new reality? It is actually a subtle form of self-harm when we stay on this carousel and just keep banging ourselves over the head with what it is that we don't like. The Taoists have a saying that says the journey is the destination. So going through all of these hard times is exactly what we're supposed to be doing to build ourselves up and to learn the lessons that we need to learn. So we're going to be talking about this story about how to get through the hard times. Um, the person who wrote it is Jason 
Redman. He's a retired Navy SEAL. He is the founder of Wounded Wear. He is the author of The Trident, Forging and Reforging of a Navy SEAL Officer, and Overcome, Crush Adversity with Leadership Techniques of America's Toughest Warriors. So he fought in Afghanistan, Iraq, Fallujah. He has the Purple Heart, the Bronze Star, the Medal of Honor. Actually, I saw a picture of his shirt and there were like four rows of medals. I don't know what they all are, but I picked out the ones that I thought that we would all recognize. And so his job was to neutralize a high-value Al-Qaeda leader. And so he was stuck in an ambush. And during that time, he was shot eight times by a machine gun. The machine gun hit several places on his body, including his face. It went up through the bottom of his ear, through his face, and blew his nose off. In 96 hours, he found himself in the hospital. He had been left for dead. When he was in the hospital, they were talking about the fact that he had no use of his left hand. He had severe nerve damage. His elbow had been destroyed and they were seriously contemplating amputating the arm. He was trached. His face was wired shut, so he was breathing through this trach tube. He was being fed through a feeding tube in his stomach, and they told him it will take years to put you back together. In reality, it ended up taking him 12 years to get back to the place where he was 100% fully functional again. He went through 37 surgeries, 1,200 stitches, 200 staples, and 15 skin grafts. While he was laying in the hospital, he understood that his career was totally over, that he would be permanently disabled, and that he was forever disfigured. And he thought, this is the end. He heard some people in the room next door saying, oh my God, it's so sad how all of these young American soldiers go off to war and they come back and their lives have been totally destroyed. And he felt like, oh my God, this really is the end. You may not be able to relate to the end in terms of being shot up, but what he points out is that we all have moments of the end. It may be a divorce. It may be a diagnosis that is overwhelming. It may be a bankruptcy. It may be a business that you're starting that is failing, but that we all go through these times where we are feeling overwhelmed and like we have been ambushed. So he calls these life ambushes and he says what happens is we get stuck on the X. The X is that point in time where everything turns around. It is the, the end moments. He says we can focus on the pain and the misery and the stress and what we've lost, but we must get off the X as soon as possible if we're going to move forward. He said he realized he had a choice. He could feel sorry for himself and hold on to negativity, but he decided he would not be the victim and he would step up and go forward. So he had his wife with him. She walked in the door and she said, and he said, get a pad and get a pencil. And so they made this big sign for the door. And the sign said, attention to all who enter this room. If you are coming into this room with sadness or sorrow, don't bother. The wounds came from a job that I love doing for people that I love, serving a country that I love deeply. I will make a full recovery, absolute utmost physically. My body has the ability to recover and I will go 20% further by sheer mental tenacity. This room is one of fun, optimism, and intense rapid regrowth. If you're not prepared for that, go elsewhere. And then they signed it, the management, because they wanted it to look official. He said it was about making the choice for the power of positivity over negativity in the face of massive adversity. Choose to drive forward. 
Realize that when life ambushes come, it can be time for a new beginning. The hardest moments are the greatest opportunity. It's like a phoenix rising out of the ashes. So you have to make a decision. You have to be willing to recover and have relentless overcoming. You have to move quickly and react when there are massively hard situations. So he gives us four, five tools for how we can move forward. The number one is recognize the reality versus denial. So many of us, when we're hit with these horrible situations in life that ambush us and take us when we least expect it, we go instantly into denial. If you get a diagnosis, for instance, it's very normal to do that, but what he says is it's imperative that you don't stay in denial. Houston, we've got a problem. Just acknowledge that where you are is where you have to be working from to make all of the changes that need to happen. He says number two is evaluate your assets, what you have that you're going to need to use to get out of the situation. So family, friends, whether you have some money in the bank, whether you need to take a loan, whether you need to talk to a priest or a counselor or an accountant or an attorney, Take stock of what you need so that you will be able to move forward. Number three is assess the possible options and outcomes. Sometimes there is no good choice. Sometimes you are stuck between a rock and a hard place where there are really bad choices. And he says at that point, you just have to choose what is the least bad of all of those choices. Number four is choose a direction and communicate it to the others that are involved. So oftentimes this may involve a job. This, you may be employer and it involves employees. You may be the head of the household and it involves your family members. So he says it will be very helpful for them if you make a choice and inform them what the choice is. He says this will give people hope that you are moving forward. Number five is take action. Don't wait for the perfect moment, a so-called break in the gunfire, the next paycheck, or when the project is finished, the time is now. The perfect moment will never come. He says he's worked with over a thousand wounded warriors and many co companies that were failing and required massive change. And the ones that got the off the X the fastest didn't just survive, they thrived. You have to drive out of the crisis as fast as possible. The longer you don't move, the harder and harder it is to get up. Life ambushes are out there. You have a choice. You can choose to overcome and not be limited by what the doctor said and ignore the negativity around you. Decide how to become the best version of the new you. So there will be a new you. Make sure you're becoming the best version of that. So we're going to talk about scripture just a little bit. We're going to start with Exodus 18.8. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to the Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? John 16:33 I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 1 Kings 1:29 The king then took an oath, as surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, I will surely carry out the very day what I swore to you by the Lord. And then Job 11:16 You will surely forget your trouble recalling it only as waters that have gone by. And that sort of reminds me of the Taoist about philosophy about just letting it float on by. 
So we're going to talk a lot about Jeremiah because I found so much in there that I thought was really, really helpful. The verses, there are several verses that are very, very well known, but the number one is Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14, which says, For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me, if you seek me with all of your heart. So the story of Jeremiah covers a very long period of time and there are several references to it being like Israel is the bride and that God is the bridegroom. And what he talks about over and over again is that it is as if Israel cheated on God. So Israel was proclaiming false gods, obeying false gods, doing religious practices that were against those that had been told that were correct. They were doing other uh, practices that were not good for the people. They were not taking care of the elderly and the sick and the poor. They had gone against all of the commandments that they had made, all of the promises that they had made to God, they broke those promises. And so basically God was saying, after 50 years, I've sent prophets to tell you, stop cheating on me, stop doing this. And he sent all these different prophets and it went through decades and decades of time where God said, you have to stop disobeying me. And Israel just wasn't listening at all. And Jeremiah was the prophet who said, you have to listen. God is getting really angry here. God wants a divorce. This isn't going to work anymore. And so Jeremiah was the one who told all of this bad news saying all of this horrible stuff is going to happen to you because you are disobeying the promises that you made in the covenants that you made before with God. Well, there are several times during the Jeremiah story where there are uplifting moments as in the 2911 and then there are other ones that talk about a new covenant that is coming that is going to be made. So just to get into the history of it all, uh, he was a prophet between 626 and 586. Job was to warn the Israel of the consequences of breaking the covenant with God. He was asked by God to be a prophet. Some say that he was actually asked in his early teens. And he said, I'm much too young. I don't know how to do this and I can't speak. And God said, I will put the words into your mouth and I will give you courage and I will make you strong enough to do this. So he turned out to be an Israelite priest. He preached in the final days of the kingdom of southern Judah. He was warning them all of breaking the, the covenant in the Torah about the idolatry and social injustice. He was afraid that he wouldn't be able to say the right words, but God repeatedly put the words in his mouth. Uh, he was a very introspective person. He was given to self-analysis and self-criticism. God told him he would be strong and God would be with him at all times. He had a message that nobody wanted to hear. He was told to proclaim the end of the era. The words were given by God that the conflict with his neighbors and the civil burdens had to change. Um, so Jeremiah was someone who was actually really loved all of his neighbors and was really, really sad and brokenhearted about the fact that they wouldn't change their ways, that they wouldn't come back to being with God again. So he was actually very sad and he was known as the weeping prophet. He was also known as the prophet of doom. He preached for over 40 years. His job was to reveal God's will that was all powerful and everywhere present. That the divine wrath would end after 70 years. He was a messenger not only of God's judgment but also of God's grace. So the Israeli leaders totally rejected him. He did what was called the temple sermon where he said that the God of Israel is coming in judgment. They will send the army of Babylon to conquer all of you and you will be in exile for 70 years. Jeremiah himself was persecuted and kidnapped. He was thrown in a cistern at one time. His book was burned and he had to write it all over again. 
Um, the message of 29:11 of hope was one of many messages that, of hope. He said that God would not abandon the people, that there would be a new covenant that would transform the hearts, that would inscribe the laws of the Torah, not on the tablets, but on the hearts, that he will heal the Israelites, that he will love them, and that they will get back together again. They will return back to their land. And he also said that a Messiah would come from the line of David, and that was uplifting and inspiring to them. Appearances to the contrary, notwithstanding, the Lord has not forgotten his people. He also warned of false prophets. There were other prophets that were walking around saying that this time of turmoil would only last two years. And Jeremiah said, no, that's not true. It's going to last 70 years. Jeremiah was deeply spiritual. He was dedicated to God despite being very, very shy and withdrawn. Uh, but he had made a commitment to God and that enabled him to overcome all of the obstacles and he was given courage. So the Hebrews were taken from their land. Um, the Israelites were forced to go for 70 years. They were living in a foreign place. They were in shock. They were agonizing about what lied ahead and what it was that was gonna happen to them and when they would be able to go home again. And so Jeremiah speaks a lesson to fully embrace the situation, stop complaining, start making a life, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters multiply and do not decrease God is with you wherever you are God can do great work through you there is always great potential for good no matter where you are and the lessons is about re releasing the resistance to be able to settle down and make themselves new homes in this new place and then be able to get their lives back together again and have some acceptance so stop resisting what has happened in the past it's over you have to create a new reality now before we can be in a state of acceptance, we have to release our resistance to whatever circumstances triggered the resistance in the first place. If we can perceive whatever the resistance is, then we can free ourselves from it. So resistance is fighting with reality and attempt to separate ourselves from it. Acceptance is the rolling away of the stone of resistance. God means it for good. Seek out the presence of God within. So we know that God is inside us, outside us, and all around us. So the metaphysical definition of Jeremiah is whom Jehovah sets up. It talks about spiritual faith demanding that all of the religious thoughts be true in observance of the divine law. So the new law that is inscribed in your heart instead of the ones that are on the stones. An individual who has faith is courageous spiritually even though in outer circumstances he may be timid when he's directed by the spirit of the lord to testify to the truth he will have all of the strength he needs so they talk also about the returning home part so israel does get to go home after 70 years and they say that that is the place that jesus prepared in john 14 2 jesus prepared a place in my father's house there are many mansions if that were not so i would have told you so he talks about just a little bit of foreboding about the the time that is to come with Jesus. So that place is the spiritual current in the cosmos ether. Back then they talked about ether all the time. That just means energy where we can feel and direct our attention to God in prayer and meditation. So Elizabeth Sands Turner talks about Jeremiah's story. and She says that there are two missions that Jeremiah had. The first was to destroy error, and the second was to establish the truth. And you know, we destroy error by doing our denials and we establish our truth by affirming the presence and power of God is everywhere. 
So she also talks about the new government is the institution of the religion of spirit, not of the law, but of the spirit. Jeremiah advised cooperation with Babylonia. So one of the things that Jeremiah always said is if you if you just try to cooperate and go ahead with what they're asking you to do, it's going to be much easier for you than if you're fighting them all the time. It was a uh, lesson of non-resistance and there was a way of wisdom in the midst of the hardship. Trust God. So it is okay to keep in contact with God. It is our only task to do that, to keep in contact with source of strength no matter what we are going through. So I want to close with some more words of hope from Jeremiah. I've picked out several, starting with chapter 31, verse 2. This is what the Lord says, The people who survive the sword will find favor in the wilderness. I will come to give rest to Israel. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again and you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt. And what he's saying is he's making Israel like a virgin again. He forgets all the sins. So the slates are wiped clean. We get to start all over again. And then in 31:13, the young women will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. I will satisfy the priests with abundance and my people will be filled with my bounty, declares the Lord. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. And the key words for me is, I have loved you with an everlasting love. So as I prepared for this talk, I thought about all of the different chapters in our lives and I myself have gone through many many different chapters but what I want to talk about the fact is that there always was a plan God had a plan for me so I'm going to be talking about the years from 1995 all the way up to 2017 and there were many 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 chapters in there so um to sum it all up, in 1995, I moved with my husband out to the Poconos, and so we built a house. We, we bought the land, and we hired an architect, and we hired a contractor, and I picked out every single piece of tile and every piece of stone and, and every single room, and we laid out all where all the closets were and, and all of the carpeting and, and every single detail of this incredibly beautiful house that was going to be built. And so we built this house up in the Poconos, and I I commuted uh, to New Jersey where my job was. So we moved there, we built the house, we built a school. So we started a school in New York City for, called Council Heaven. Um, we started a, a brand new life there. I joined the church, I was in the choir, I had some groups that I was participating in as well. Um, and I And we built a life and we started this magnificent new life. And after we had been there a little bit over a year, we got a letter from the county that we lived in saying that they had underestimated the taxes. The taxes were based on the land and not the property with a house on it. And they told us that we owed thousands and thousands of dollars. And so that was the beginning of the end. The next step was that my husband picked up after 20 some odd years of recovery, he picked up both alcohol and drugs. 
and it became very, very bad. And the bottom line is that I had to leave. Uh, he became very violent and it became necessary for me to leave my home very quickly. And so I had to start all over again. And so we claimed bankruptcy. Um, I moved to a little apartment in Belleville. I started all over again. I still had my job, thank God. I lost my dog, whom I loved very much. Um, I lost my church, I lost my choir, I lost my groups. I had to start all over again. I had to totally rebuild my life. So that's one part of it. There are many, many, many chapters, and some of them are extremely painful. The more I resisted change, the harder it was. As I look back, there are things that I could have done differently, but I can't stay stuck in that because it's over and it's gone. I have to let go of any of that resistance and go on to accept whatever was going on. So my dad passed, so I moved to Belleville in um, May of 1997 and in September of 1997 my dad passed and it was one of the most horribly awful times of my life. I was having an extreme depression. I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. I managed to continue going to work um, but I was drowning. I felt like the I was on a boat and the bottom had just fallen out and, and I was full of despair and darkness. Um, my marriage was over and I had lost everything. But I will say for you beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was there for every single moment of it, every single moment of it. And the thing that I didn't tell you was that one of the other things I did when I moved back to Pennsylvania was that I went back to school because I wanted to finish my degree and I wanted to get a Master's of Divinity. Everything happened and fell apart and I had to start all over again. And so I did. I made a whole brand new life for myself. And then in 2013, my mom passed and I decided at that point to go back to school again. And so I moved here after that time and I started a whole brand new life, another chapter of my life. I did go back to school. I got my degree in pastoral ministry and then I came out here and found Blaine, Reverend Blaine Mays, whom I am so deeply and grateful for and I got ordained. And now we have the life now. But I just want to say how we went through all of these different chapters of my life and how that plan to become a minister started way back in 1995 and I didn't get ordained until 2016. And so I just, it, it's amazing to me to understand the different chapters of my life. I believe that God always has a plan for us. God's love is the only constant in our lives. When we let go of fighting during the hard times, remember you will come out the other side. God is always there with you. This is just a chapter in your life. There will be many chapters of your life. And so I've come up with six things that will help us get through. Number one, accept what you cannot change. Number two, don't beat yourself up for mistakes and what you could have done differently. Number three, believe God has a plan for your welfare and not for harm to give you a future with hope. Number four, believe that God loves you with an everlasting love and that God will build you up again when you have been broken. Number five, trust with every ounce of your being that you are stronger, braver, wiser, more resilient than you ever thought possible. And number six, stand up, take a deep breath, and take the next step forward. And so it is. Remember at all times the power is in you. It always has been, and it always will be. Thank you very much.